I would like to welcome those joining us online today. And I do want to continue and encourage you to participate in what we've called the Live Dead Challenge, which is very simply, we've encouraged you to pick up a copy of the Live Dead Joy. We have a couple, maybe we've got a dozen copies left at Main Street Theater. They're $15. It's a 365-day devotional. It's one, one page a day, so it's pretty simple reading, but what goes along with it is scripture reading and then pair that with our prayer guide. So what we want you to do is be challenged to live the crucified life, to be in the scripture, and to spend time in prayer. Uh, so I just encourage you, please make sure you're a part of that. If you haven't picked up a copy, we've got some on Main Street. You can also go and get an ebook version as well. And uh, know that all the proceeds go to helping establish the church where it does not exist in the world. So you get to grow in God and plant the church. That's an awesome thing. Thanks, y'all. So make sure you're a part of that. But otherwise, today is the last day of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's okay to cheer for that. That's all right. It's been fun to talk to some. As this was their final week, they're like, man, I can't wait for Sunday. Because that means tomorrow I have a 7 a.m. appointment at Mary Lou's Donuts. A noon lunch hour at Five Guys. 6 p.m. Outback Steakhouse. And I've already pre-scheduled my heart surgery at 10 p.m. at St. E's. <laughs> no, really, don't do that to yourself. That would be bad for your body. <laughs> no, but, but I do tell you, it really has been an awesome thing as we've come together in this time of prayer and fasting, as we launch out into 2017, uh, just to be able to hear some of the testimonies that God has done. And, you know, we don't fast because we're basically demanding God to do something in our lives. We simply fast because, God, we just want more of you. We, we fast so we can feast on the Lord. And what's been neat to hear is the testimonies that have come out of that, of job openings that were previously closed, they opened up in this time frame. Um, we've had testimonies of healings, people's relationships restored that had been strained. So it's just incredible that when we ask for more of God, what God shows up and does in our lives. And so it's been a, a neat way to start the year. You know, what also has been great is one of the things for our, our church family that has come out of these 21 days of prayer and fasting is Mark and Ashley stepping in as youth pastors. What a joy. It's a wonderful answer to prayer. When Shelly and I had met with uh, Kevin and Jennifer last month in December and talking through that transition, you know, really as we were having that conversation, we could have been faced with one or two options. We could worry about that transition or we can worship. And what we're going to get into our passage this morning is we're going to see how that plays out in different avenues of our lives. Because in that case, I could have worried about the need to fill that position, a position that helped shape the lives of teens in our church. I could have worried that the people coming in wouldn't have the spiritual depth to continue the great work that Kevin and Jennifer were doing. I could have worried it would take a year to find the right people for it. But instead of worrying, Shelley and I, we devoted ourselves to worship. We devoted ourselves to prayer and fasting, knowing that God holds all things in his hands. We could worship God knowing that he's strong and mighty and he cares about the youth and every person in this church more than I could ever hope to as a flawed human. So we chose to worship through prayer and fasting. And it was great that God said, I've already prepared the people, you simply need to ask. Thank you, God. I love when you do the heavy lifting. It's such a wonderful thing. You know, as Shelly and I um, head into all things, we, we are always faced with that option to worry or to worship. And, and you have that same option as well. When decisions come your way, when you're facing stress and challenge, do you worry or do you worship? I'm sure there are some here today who know how to worry well. It's like your spiritual gift. But you shouldn't be that way. 
And, you know, I will say maybe you've got a lot to worry about. Health and finances, relationships, children, your future. There could be things if we wanted to worry about, we could find them. In our scripture passage this morning, as we dive back into the series on Luke, what we're going to see is we pick up with Mary, who's just visited with Elizabeth. And Mary, if you think about the state she's in, she's going to be pregnant, she's not married, she could have a lot to worry about. But she chooses, in the passage we're in this morning, not to worry, but instead she responds in worship. So if you have your Bibles, (laughs) I hope you do. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1 with me this morning, and we're going to pick up in verse 46, that's where we left off, verses 46 through 56 this morning. And it's Mary's song. So although she could have worried, she instead chooses to worship. May that be our response. So Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen. Thank you for standing, even though I didn't remind you. You may be seated this morning. These are the words of God. And we stand simply out of reverence the fact that God gave us his word. You know, Mary, she's an amazing woman. Her story actually starts in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, hundreds of years before she was even born. Isaiah the prophet revealed through the Holy Spirit that a virgin, a young unmarried woman, would give birth to a male child, a son, and that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. So the rescue mission is that God would enter into human history, that the Creator would enter into creation that God would become a person to identify with us and to be that mediator, the reconciler, the one to reconnect us back to God, that he would be fully God, fully man, able to reconnect us, reconcile men and women to God. And hundreds of years had passed, and everyone's wondering, where's this man and where is this virgin woman? So the angel Gabriel, she shows up 400 years after Isaiah's prophecy, and she tells, he tells Mary, who's probably a teenager, you know, you could be betrothed, their version of engagement at the age of 12, and then married a year later at age 13. So she's probably a junior high age woman, likely no older than high school. She's in a small town called Nazareth, and at that time, maybe dozens or, or hundreds of people could have lived in that town. It's not a very big place. She's engaged to a young man named Joseph. 
She's preparing for her wedding, and then the angel Gabriel shows up, and the whole script of her life changes. Anybody have your life planned, and God shows up and says, actually, new script? I have. That's why we're here, by the way. (laughs) And we're glad for it. So when he says new script, embrace it. I encourage you. It's a good thing. And what he says is, you've been chosen by God, favored by God. You're going to be the promised mother of Emmanuel, God with us. She has some questions. But so she asks, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel Gabriel says, it'll be a miracle. God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, he'll enable you to conceive, and you're going to give birth to Jesus. Well, Mary is also told by Gabriel that her relative, an elderly barren woman named Elizabeth, who has never had children and is beyond childbearing years, that she's also been blessed by God and that God has opened her womb and she will give birth to John the baptizer. And so in hearing this, Mary's so excited, she packs up her things, takes a roughly 100-mile hike into the Judean uh, hillside so that she can celebrate with Elizabeth. She spends a few months with them, and this is where we pick up our story in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, the passage that we read this morning, Mary's song. And although Mary had an opportunity for worry, she could have been very worried about her future, she instead chose to live for God and to worship. Because Mary lived for God, and living for God leads to worship, whereas living for yourself, it leads to worry. I want you to know that. If you're living for God, it leads to worship. When you're living for yourself, you're prone to worry. So as we examine our scripture passage, what we're going to see is, is that worship is better than worry. In fact, worship helps to remove worry. And we'll see that this morning. Living for God is better than living for yourself. And so here's what we're going to find is that worship is better than worry for several reasons. And the first is this. Worship is better than worry because worship leads to blessing. Mary said, she says in verse 46, I love as this opens up, my soul magnifies the Lord. What a great opening. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary's first part of the song, it's very personal. She's talking about herself. There's two parts to her song. Her soul magnifies the Lord. God has looked upon humble Mary, and he's blessed her and done great things for her. Why? Because she lives for God. She worships him. And to worship God, to really live for him, is to live with God at the center of your life. And when he's at the center you assume God is who he says he is, that the Bible is true, that it reveals to us God's character, his nature, his very attributes. This is part of keeping God at the center. You believe and you interpret all of life in light of what God says and who God says that he is, which is good, because God is good. You know, when bad things happen, when you're living with God at the center, you understand it's because our world is corrupted. Not because God doesn't care, because God does care, and God is love. But now to not worship God, to not have God at the center of your life, this looks very different. You know, when things are good, you feel like God's a good God. But now when things are hard, you start to wonder, is there really even a God? And what happens is, 
Without God truly at your center, you start to project your sadness and your suffering toward God, even at Him. And you run from Him at the time that you need to be running to Him. That's what happens if He's not at the center. You'll have questions about Him, not worship for Him. Some of you could be here today, and your future seems uncertain. You're wondering what's going to happen next. How is this going to work out for you? You've forgotten how to worship, or maybe you never even learned how to worship to begin with, and so you've fallen into worry. But God's desire is for you to rejoice in Him as your Savior. God's plan is not for you to live a life of worry. It's not. He sees you for who you are. He knows everything about your life. There's nothing that's hidden to God. And although that could intimidate you, if you know who God is, that he's a good God, you can embrace that and know that he desires good things for your life. He desires for you to live for him at the center. And the sooner that you realize you cannot clean up your life and that only God can, the better off that you'll be. The sooner that you'll have a heart to worship, removing all worry from your life. Well, who does Mary say that God is? He's holy and he's mighty, and according to her, he does great things for those who walk in humility. He blesses the humble by building them up. So I challenge you to walk in humility with God at the center of your life. Choose worship over worry. When someone cuts you off in traffic on your way home today, it could happen, lots of construction out there, display love and patience and kindness. All those God-given qualities that display God to the world. And as you do, you watch as God blesses you with more of himself. That's what God wants to do. Worship leads to blessing. You know, but worship is also better than worry because worship, it builds you up. You know, the next part of Mary's song, the second section, it shifts now towards the community of faith. And here's what she says to the community. God has shown strength with his arm, exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. God lifts up. He builds up to those who worship, for those that fear or have great respect, deep love for God. I mean, how many here have come in on a Sunday morning, maybe even today, and you dove into the service, you began to worship, and all of a sudden, as you worshiped, worry started to fade from your life? Anybody ever experienced that? That's what God does in worship. That's why he calls us to come together in worship. He wants to remove worry. The enemy would love for you to stay beat down because then your effectiveness in the kingdom of God is greatly minimized. But I say, worship, be built up so that you can leave from here ready to engage the world around you. In John chapter 4, Jesus is meeting with a Samaritan woman at a well. And here's what he tells her. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I love that last line. God the Father is seeking worshipers. Isn't it wonderful that we can be sought by God? He wants you to worship him. Now, spirit, in the way that Jesus uses the term here, it's defined as the seat of emotions, your intellectual functions, and your will. So worshiping in spirit involves your emotions, your mind, and your will. It involves all three things. I talked about this a little bit last spring. You know, some people, they worship with a lot of heart, and they totally leave their head out of it. You ever met one of those? Don't raise your hand. 
Some people, they worship with all head and they totally dismiss their heart. Don't do that. God wants your entire spirit involved, your head, your heart, your will. He wants it all. That's what a true worshiper is. Jesus says worshipers, they worship in spirit, but also in truth. And truth is what you say and what you do and what you think, because that's truth as defined by you. So true worshipers, they worship emotionally, intellectually, and with their will, and then they do that with what they say, with what they do, and with what they think. This is the kind of worshiper that Jesus wants. So we come in on a Sunday morning to worship in spirit, with our emotions, our intellect, and our will. We willfully worship as we sing and as we give offerings. How many know you have to fight your will, a selfish will, to give? That's part of why we give, so we can worship in spirit. We engage our mind through song as we look at the the lyrics of the song, but also as we hear messages. And then we engage our heart as we sing and as the Holy Spirit begins to open up scriptures that were maybe previously closed to you. And then we go out of this place and we worship in truth. So we come to worship in spirit and we leave worshiping in truth, where everything we say is an act of worship. Everything that we do is an act of worship. Every thought we have is an act of worship. Your whole life is set up and designed to be an act of worship to God. I don't know if you've considered that. So I would challenge you, do you come here on a Sunday morning engaging your heart and your mind and your will? Or do you sit in your seat, not singing songs, not engaging your heart? Are you daydreaming as we talk about the word, not engaging your mind? Do you willfully choose to come and spectate instead of engaging with others and with the other elements of the service? To be a true worshiper, you must engage your spirit in our worship gatherings. And then do you leave from here? Do you represent God with what you say, what you do, and what you think? In other words, if God heard your conversations, would he be satisfied? If God saw how you acted, would he be pleased? If he heard your thoughts, would he be happy? Something to consider is God sees what you do. He hears what you say. He knows your thoughts. There's something to think about. But here's what's amazing and what I want us to look at as it relates to a life of worship. You know, we know we come here on a Sunday morning, we can sing songs and be built up, but God desires for us to be built up more than just 90 minutes in our week. If your whole life is an act of worship to God, that means God can build you up in every moment of every day as you dedicate every day as a worship to God. Does that make sense? He wants to build you up, not just here. He wants you to build you up as every part of your life as you dedicate your life as worship to him. But if you don't learn to worship with your life, you will fall into worry. So either you're a worshiper or you're a worrier. You can't be both. Mary's song, her act of worship, it includes three important stanzas in verse 51 to 53. And she says here, He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And this is a comparison here of the humble and the proud. Mary's comparing these two things. You know, a definition that we could use for humility is a person who understands their evil heart while at the same time understands the holiness of God and that those two things can never come together. Humility is understanding how perfect and clean that God is and that even our good acts are garbage to him. If you're new to the church and you wonder why we sing and we lift our hands, this is the reason. We recognize there's nothing good about us but that God accepts us anyway 
through his son Jesus. We worship Jesus because he provides an entryway, a doorway into relationship with God. So we worship him for this. He reconnects us with God. We worship out of a humble place. You know, one of the things that could be standing in the way of your ability to worship is pride. And here's how pride works itself out. It does so in control issues. And here's what Mary has to say about the prideful. These are challenging verses. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and the rich he has sent away empty. The prideful, they sit on thrones trying to control their environment. And what does this lead to? Worry. Why? There's no way you can control everything about your life. You either give control over to God and know he holds all things in his hands, or you try to control everything and you worry about everything because there's no way that you can control it. So I say, give it all over to God. Stop worrying and start worshiping. Deep down, people know they can't control it all. And what does God do with those who live with him not at the center, the prideful? Scripture says he sends them away empty-handed. And I'm telling you, this should scare you. Because what Mary is saying is, those who think they're rich, that basically they don't need God, they're rich in spirit, what God is saying is, you think you don't need me? Then I will hold myself back from you. That's dangerous. Greater than the loss of a job is that God could keep himself from you. More significant than dealing with unruly children is that God would not be a part of your life. Much larger than problems at work is the absence of God in your life. True riches are found in your relationship with your loving creator. We could say a lot more about pride, but let me just share a couple of verses. Proverbs 6.16, it says, The Lord hates haughty eyes. They're an abomination to him. Proverbs 8.13 says, Pride and arrogance I hate. Proverbs 16.5, listen to this, it says, Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. If you know the scriptures, you'll rarely find God speaking as heavy as he does against pride because God knows pride gets in the way of most things in your relationship with God. James 4, 6 declares, God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. So what is pride then? Here's a possible definition. We think we are God, if we're prideful, and we refuse to acknowledge our need and dependence on him. We take care of our marriage, We've got our kids, we'll handle our resources, we've got our health, we'll handle this problem, we've got this situation, we'll overcome this evil inclination, and all you're doing is saying, I'm God, I can heal, I'm God, I can take care of this, I'm God, I can bring joy, and all the things that God wired the universe to come and flow through him, you've taken on yourself. That's pride. And what's one of the ways that we can deal with pride? Through worship. Lift your hands as a sign of surrender to God and say, I give. Everything is in your hands. I don't want to sit on a throne. You are on the throne. I don't want to be in control. God, you are in control. I trust you. I no longer want to worry. I simply want to worship. And what happens as you worship? You begin to walk in that humility. And what does God do for the humble? Our scripture tells us he displays his strength. He exalts the humble. He lifts them up. You know, just as we learned during our Heart of Thanksgiving series in November that the way to deal with a selfish heart is to learn to give, well, the way that we deal with a prideful heart 
is we learn to worship. As you come on a Sunday morning, become a true worshiper. Worship in spirit by engaging your emotions, your intellect, and your will. By singing, taking notes, and giving in the weekly offering. And then as you leave from this place, worship in truth with everything you say, with everything you do, and with everything that you think. Become a true worshiper. It's in this way that God can build you up, not just on a Sunday, but every day of the week. And the last point is this, is that worship is better than worry because worship leads to mercy. Verse 50 reads, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is merciful. That means he withholds from us justice that we deserve as sinners. He replaces it with grace, giving us good things that we don't deserve. God is merciful with me as a worshiper. He's merciful with you as a worshiper. And not only that, he's merciful from generation to generation. I don't know if you've considered that. Here's what that means. God's going to be merciful to my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. That keeps on going. That's incredible. God keeps showing mercy. I could be dead for hundreds of years, and people with my last name could keep receiving God's mercy. That's powerful. Now, how many of you are done being merciful to certain people? Have those people in your life? You don't want to display mercy to them any longer? You're sick of them? Well, guess what? God isn't. In fact, he's going to be merciful to them for their whole life. And then he's going to be merciful to their kids and to their grandkids and to their great-grandkids. Most of us, we can't endure a lifetime with certain people. God's good for a thousand generations. That's amazing. The mercy of God never ends. Mary says, that is amazing, and we should have that same perception. And God is merciful to the nations. The second part of Mary's song is composed of double lines, where basically there's a point and a counterpoint. And it seems like there's a line left out, and I'm going to show you that on the slide behind me. And here's what Mary says. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So what happens is, is the stanza starts with mercy, and then we get into the points and counterpoints. The first line in, he's shown strength with his arm, okay? And then the counterpoint is, and he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And then he says, he brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. And then it seems like we've got a line missing. Because then it closes with that mercy again, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. With every double line, there's a line of exaltation, and there's a matching line of humiliation, with the exception of what should follow helping his servant Israel. To balance this line, we would expect something like, he aided Israel, his servant, okay, and then he cut off the hope of the Gentiles. That's the missing line. The balance for aiding Israel would necessarily be opposing the Gentiles. But this word of judgment, it never appears. And thank God, because I'm a Gentile. Most everyone in this room is a Gentile, people of non-Jewish background. So thank God he shows mercy to the Gentiles like you and me. I'm so grateful he does that. And not only for us, but for the nations. God is merciful to us all. Mary's song, it presents a woman with boundless compassion for the oppressed, along with a clear vision for lifting that oppression. Gentiles are not opposed, but the mighty and the arrogant are. Mary's an intelligent woman who knows that God has grace for her and for those that believe in him. And because we know that as we worship, 
that we can expect to receive God's mercy, this knowledge should remove worry from our life. God is merciful. You need not worry about his mercy. God is strong. You need not worry about problems that you face in life. God exalts the humble. You need not worry about titles and positions. God fills the hungry. You need not worry about provisions. Worship is better than worry. You know, Mary looks at her life, and she has one of two options here, to worship or to worry. You know, in moments of crisis and doubt, if you begin to worry, you'll start terrifying yourself about the future. Mary could have. What if she started thinking? What if Joseph leaves? What if my parents reject me? What if they strip me and beat me in the public square? What if I'm a single mother? What if I can't afford to feed this baby? What if I have complications in this pregnancy? What if? But instead, Mary doesn't worry. She decides to worship. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He is mighty. He has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear him. He is strong. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry. Mary knows this. She worships and doesn't worry because she knows Scripture. This is why I want you to have a good Bible. I want you to know Scripture. She knows of Abraham and Sarah and about their promised son, Isaac. She knows about the promise of the one to come as a savior of the world. She knows God will be good to carry her through. And if we're not careful, we can read about Mary and think, well, of course God's going to take care of Mary. She's carrying Jesus. But guess what? The same God who's looking out for Mary is looking out for you and for me. If God was good to Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah, and Mary, he's going to be good to you as well. If he's faithful to them, he will be faithful to you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we never forget that. And that doesn't mean everything is fixed, but you keep your head on straight and you'll be able to worship your way right through it and find a way to glorify God so that you might rejoice and sing and be able to worship his name. I mean, how could your marriage improve if you lived a life of worship instead of worry? How could your relationship with your children grow if you worshiped instead of worrying? How about your workplace? How could that look different? Worship is truly better than worry. Choose to worship today. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close in song this morning. And here's what I would challenge you, guys in particular. I know sometimes it could be hard to think, I'm going to raise my hands and sing about Jesus coming for his bride. I just don't picture myself in a white dress very well. <laughs> Guess what? I don't either. So here's what I want you to worship. When we raise our hands, just like you would at a sports game, here's what we're worshiping. We're saying, Jesus, in your second coming, you're coming back as a warrior king with fire in your eyes. So let's just cheer on Jesus this morning as we worship. Don't be afraid to raise your hands in worship. And as you're standing, I do want to ask, you know, if you've been living a life of worry because you're far from God, is that you this morning? You'd say, I've been worried about a lot of things. I haven't been living for God but do you have a desire to live a life of worship today? With every head bowed here this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity, a moment, to be able to express a desire to live for God today. If that's you today and you'd say, you know what, I've been living a life of worry, I've been living far from God, but I don't want to live that way anymore, simply raise your hand and I want to pray with you this morning that God would fill your heart and your life that you live for Him strong in His name. Anybody here today that would say, I want to live for you, God. 
I've been far from you, but I want to choose to live for you today. Simply raise your hand and we'll pray with you before we go today. Right down here in the middle, anybody else? Anybody else to say, I want to live for you, God? Oh Lord, I do pray that you would inspire us to live for you. You at the center of our lives, may we choose worship over worry. May there be nothing that holds us back from you, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would fill this person that would say, I want to follow you with all of my heart. I pray that they would live for you, never doubting you. May they worship you and never worry. God, we just pray your presence in this place. As we close in song, I pray that we would engage in worship today. Lord, that you might remove worry from our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you raised your hand, and maybe you didn't this morning, we had a couple of people raise their hands. Pastor Mark is up here in the front. If you simply want to come to the front as we begin to sing, I encourage you to come to the front. Pastor Mark simply wants to give you a Bible and share with you where do you go from here. We make a decision to follow Jesus, but we don't stop there. We want to keep growing in him. So please, as we sing, simply come to the front and we'll match you up with somebody to walk with you through Jesus.